Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Morning, everybody. Well, welcome. Good to see you here and welcome to everyone watching online this morning in your Jimmy Jams. Um, as you know, we've been in just a, a, a three-week series on our vision series. Um, if you haven't been here the first week, we talked about being the sort of church that sets a bigger table. By that, we mean being the church where anyone and everyone can not only feel welcome but can actually belong. The second week... We looked at telling a better story, getting it out there to people, the idea that God's one and only predisposition towards them is only and ever love and helping them understand that. Today I want to talk about a new way to live and the reason I want to do that is because this type of community that we want to create, this culture of community that we want to create... The story we want to tell, that can only flow out of the people we actually are. Now, during last week, not the week just gone, sorry, the week before, I went for a meeting uh, with one of the leaders in our movement um, who's just moved into his position, so he wanted to get to know some of us that he hadn't been able to get to know before. And I went along for this meeting and he said, so look, tell tell me your story, tell me how you got into ministry. And I mean, it's the usual story. It's the fame, it's the money, it's the popularity. You know, it's, it's all the things that go with pastoral ministry, the, the easy life, you know. Um, no, so we were just talking about how I kind of fell into this um, and have been here kind of ever since, except for uh, a period of two years where I became a kind of born-again atheist as a result of a, a pretty jarring church experience. Um, I didn't, wouldn't say I became a born-again atheist, but... I certainly had had enough of church and God. It put me off. Um, At least in my mind at that point in time, it had put me off um, forever. And uh, as I was sharing that with him and, you know, the story about how I eventually sort of came back into it, um, he said, yeah, yeah, I can really relate to that. And he told me a little bit about his story and that he had spent 10 years of his life um, in that exact place. He, can see, he actually went further than me. He actually became an atheist. He was a hardened atheist from about 18 through to about 28. And the reason he'd done that was because he'd actually been a pastor's kid. And uh, because of the behaviour that he saw from the people who comprised the churches he was part of, especially towards his father, he made a very definite decision that he didn't want any more to do with this stuff ever, ever again. But it's kind of like what I was talking about last week, you know, the hound of heaven, he doesn't let you go, does he? God will pursue you no matter what. And you can turn your back on him a thousand times, he'll always find a way of pursuing you and finding you. Um, And praise God for that, hey. Um, You know, I wouldn't be standing here today if he hadn't pursued me and he wouldn't be in the job he's in today if God hadn't continued to pursue him. God, we might give up on God, but God never actually gives up on us, does he? Ever, ever, ever. Um, so it doesn't matter how hardened our hearts become, he can still reach us. So we were telling, he was telling me that story and then he said to me, you know, Adrian, I think that my, my opinion is that churches make the best atheists. Um, and by that he meant 
people that have been around this and had a bad experience of it tend to be to go completely in the other direction. They tend to get a lot more hard. Not just people who just haven't been around this and just think it's irrelevant and don't want anything to do with it. People who've been a part of it and get hurt by it tend to become very hard towards it, right? I've heard lots of stories like this in my time in ministry, lots and lots and lots of times. I think about our best friends. Our best friends are atheists, right? But they weren't always atheists. We met them in this church 30 years ago. Now, I know that's dating me and it's probably very hard to believe, but yes, it happened 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we met in this church. And uh, we were here at this church together. They eventually came out to Quakers Hill and became a part of the group that were planting the church out there as well. And then we didn't know this, but something had happened and that had caused them to move on to another church in the local area. And they stayed there and eventually they moved into the country. And when they moved into the country, they found a local church and they got very involved in that local church. And they were very involved in um, the youth ministry and reaching out to the kind of down and outs and the homeless that were in their particular town and some of the people they were reaching out to actually started coming along to church and the elders called them in and berated them and said we don't want these type of people in our church so you either stop it or you leave so they left and they left the church and they left God and they've never looked back to this day now Cool stories, Debbie Downer. Why are you telling us this, right? <laughs> I'm telling us this because it's not a secret that the church has a bit of a PR problem, right? Sometimes our reputation for not doing great things gets in the way. Let me put it another way. Sometimes the good news of Jesus is obscured by the bad news generated by the church, Right? We sometimes get in the way of what God is trying to do. We sometimes get in the way of Jesus. We let our humanness rise to the fore. We let the worst of us come out. We get ideas about the way things should be and we go down that particular road and we do damage to one another and we do damage to other people. And Sometimes we do that damage even with the best of intention, but we, we do it. So the church has a bit of a, a PR problem. And I say that as part of the church, right? I say that as someone who has both been damaged by the church and has done my fair share of damage as part of the church as well. And since I've been part of the problem, it's kind of committed my life to being part of the solution because I actually love the local church. I love the local church and I can't simply turn my back on it. Now, those stories that I told are not isolated stories. The fastest growing religious category in the Western world is that of the nuns and duns. People who've been around this type of thing but no longer want to be around this type of thing or God at all. And there are lots of reasons for that, but one main reason for that, again, people are put off by the people who comprise the church. And as I say, I've been there, done that, I've got the T-shirt, but leaving is the easy option. The tougher option is to stay and be a part of the solution. You know, or as Gandhi says, I know I'm quoting Gandhi in church, forgive me. All right, let's pretend he was a Christian for five minutes when he said this. Be the change you want to see, you know. 
I guess my personal opinion is if everyone just resigns from the church, then who's left to reclaim it for Jesus? Yeah. It just becomes a really poor character of every, caricature of everything it could and should be. If it's left in the hands of people who don't love it in the way that Jesus loves it and don't share his vision for it. So the easy option is to simply fall away, renege, drop out, whatever it is. The hard thing to do is to stay and say, no, I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to be a part of helping this be everything it's supposed to be. Now, it's not all bad news, right? Thanks to the interweb, you can have a great look around, not just Australia, but the world, and you can see church after church after church that have this same spirit. People who just want the church to reflect Jesus, and they're doing an amazing job. And as a result, even though the fastest growing category is the nuns and duns, there is a movement of people who are now coming back. And people who've never previously been, who are attracted by what they see in these churches and wanting to be a part of that thing. It's almost like there's been a bit of a reset in some cases. And I want to be a part of that. And that's what this talk is about today. I guess as the last part in my vision series, I guess I'm planting a flag and saying, we're going to be one of those churches too. That's who we're going to be. And here's why. The church... The church was Jesus' idea, right? It was his plan A for the restoration of all creation. And he believed in it so much he didn't even come up with a plan B. It was always going to be the church. In fact, Paul talks about that, saying it had always been God's plan all along, that his total revelation, his glory would be revealed, manifested in the church to the world. This has always been his plan. But it's not just Jesus' idea. It's Jesus' body. It's Jesus' church. He was the one who said, I will build my church. And so for me, it's, it's a simple, logical thing, right? To be committed to Jesus means to be committed to his church. To love Jesus is to love what Jesus loves. To follow Jesus is to do what he was doing and he was building his church. That's why I believe we need to be one of those places and why I want to do this. So how do we do it? How do we play a part in becoming the thing that Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church? How do we live up to being, in reality and full expression, the actual body of Jesus Christ on the earth? Well, here's here's only one thing I'm going to talk about today. It's not the whole thing. It's one thing, but I think it's a really good start. And this is it. We've got to stop thinking ourselves, stop thinking of ourselves as individuals who go to church, start thinking of ourselves as a community of people who are the church. That's a, there's nothing new in that statement. I realise that, right? It's an oldie but a goodie. It's an old chestnut. We've got to stop thinking of ourselves as individuals who go to church and start thinking of ourselves as a community who go to church. Again, nothing new in that. In fact, in pretty much in everything I've said over the last three weeks, there was nothing new. There's nothing new. This was not revelation But I think that is the genius of it. It's recovering some of these old truths. It's recovering some of these more powerful truths, taking them by the hair and and living them out. And so this one too, as simple as it is, as old as it is, as as self-evident as we actually think that it is, being able to see ourselves as part, not just 
not just people who come to church, but people who are the church, if we could get that lodged into our brain, that will be actually begin to be an incredibly transformational thought that will go on and yield all types of really good fruit. And what I want you to get in all of this is that your life matters, right? You, your life matters, not just in terms of its value. Of course your life matters in terms of its value. But your life matters in terms of the impact that it has on the whole. Are you with me? Your life matters in, that, in terms of the impact that it has on the whole. I've always been bemused over the years when people in the church um, have come up to me and said things like, you know, Adrian, the church needs to... And why doesn't the church... And they talk about church as if it's some entity that is separate to them. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, okay, I'll go and find the church and tell them. (laughs) I've looked under the carpets and I can't see them anywhere. Yeah, Adrian, the church needs to do this. Like, you guys, you're the ones that need to go off and do this type of thing. The reality is you are the church. What's the collective noun for crows? A murder. What's the collective noun for owls? Parliament. Good. What's a collective noun for flamingos? A flamboyance. (laughs) This is true. A flamboyance. How fitting. I want that. What's the collective noun for followers of Jesus? The church. You and I are Christians, but we are the church. You and I are Christians, but we are the church. And as such, our collective life is really only and ever the manifestation of the aggregate of our individual lives. Does that make sense? We are only ever as loving as a community as you and I are loving. We are only ever as kind as a community as you and I are kind. We are only ever as generous as a community as you and I are generous. Are you following with me? This body, this local body, the personality that it has is not distinct from our individual personalities. It is a manifestation of our collective personalities, right? We are the flavour. We are the flavour that goes into making us the church, that we are every single one of us. That's why I say your life matters. Again, not just in terms of value, but in terms of the impact that you have on the whole. We all have a part to play in being the church. Now, I know we know that. We, you know, we've read 1 Corinthians 12. We've read Romans 12. We know about the body analogies and all that. But it's deeply true, not just in terms of gifting, in terms of character as well. It only works when we all work. It only works to the degree that we all play our part and do our bit. That means it's not just exercising in our gifts, it's actually being as loving as we possibly can in any and every given circumstance. If we're all doing that, we're going to be a more loving church, aren't we? Again, none of this is new to any of us. This body doesn't have a personality apart from the personalities that comprise it. And When you read through the letters of the New Testament, 
you, they always begin in, in pretty much the same way, to the church in, to the believers in, to the saints in, to God's people in. Those letters never begin, you know, to Pastor Steve, uh, to the leadership team of. It's always to the people. This letter is written to you because this is about you. It involves you and it requires a response from you, the church. Not just the pastor, not just the leadership team. Now, individual commitment and talent, right? That's great. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. But community life is actually our superpower. And you see that in Acts, in, at least in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. The, the, the apostles, they were doing miracles. They were preaching the gospel and they were, they were getting the message out to people. But we're told in both Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that it was the community life of the church that awed people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. This is the thing. They could hear the message. They could see the miracles. But when they saw the effect that it was having on these people and the community life that was evolving out of that message, they were like, what is going on over there? Because it is in such a stark contrast to the way that everybody else lives. They were intrigued. At some point, they were even fearful of joining them. And yet they grew and they grew and they grew because of the community life of these people. They shared everything in common, it says. No one claimed anything as their own. There was this, right from the very beginning, and this is why I think this is so important for us to understand. Not one of these people went to theological college. Not one of these people were trained in any way, shape or form. But because it was a a community birth of the Spirit of God, the instinctive impulse was to head towards one another and to do it together. You with me? This is what it was. This was, this, was, this was what God was birthing in people. No one instructed them to do this. It was just a natural response. It's what God was directing them to do, to be together and add together to be the church and to flesh out this new life that they had, this message of the kingdom in and amongst themselves first. Now, as I say, our uniqueness is great. This is not a call for us to give up our uniqueness or even our individuality. Okay? We need to have all of that. God, God equips and gifts us all in very different ways and we need that so the body works in a variety of different ways. But it is a call for us to lay down our individualism and our individualistic approach to life. You know, I've said this multiple times in the time that I'm here, you know, our faith... It's, it's deeply personal, but it's not private. It's deeply personal, but it's not private, because guess what? We do this together. Christianity is a team sport. Yeah? So it's deeply personal, but it is not private, because we, we cannot separate it out from everyone else that we're doing it with. So it's not about cancelling out our uniqueness. It's about getting out of the mindset of individualism and, and individualistic thinking where, where we are the centre of the universe, where it's all just about me and what I need and about coming and going as I please rather than my responsibility to something bigger than myself. And here's the news. When, you get, when Jesus calls you and you enter the kingdom and you become part of his church, that's the package deal. 
You have a responsibility not just to follow Jesus, but to be a part of the church that he's called you into. To be an active, contributing, loving, faithful, committed member of that body. These things go absolutely hand in hand. And in this day and age, the whole idea about living like it's not all about you, right? You know, we've often struggled with this issue in churches for a long time. You hear it sometimes termed like this, like a consumer mentality, you know, where people who go to church is about what they, you know, I want to go to that group, do you have something for my kids, is this on, and that's all well and good. We, we want to be able to do that sort of stuff. But you know what, COVID has really ramped that up um, because now, now, and this is, this is a real thing, you can be part of the church by watching just online streaming or even worse, on demand, I mean, for me to say church on demand, that almost seems incongruous, right? And I recognise it's the reality of the world we live in right now. And I recognise sometimes that's the best people can do. And in that sense, when we're able to offer these things, fantastic. They're great for when you can't do anything else. But they were meant to be the exception, not the rule, right? This is not meant to be the norm, Our engagement and our participation in the body wasn't meant to be done through a screen with all the the energy going one way. It was meant to be done in person with the energy flowing all over the place, from the front to you, from you to me, through to each other. Because again, it takes a body to function as a body. Now, you go back to that verse in Hebrews where it says, don't give up meeting together. You know, don't be in the habit of giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? But then it goes on to say, instead, consider how you may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The emphasis there isn't don't, don't give up meeting together because you're going to miss out. It's like, don't, don't give up meeting together because you, right, are needed to bring love and encouragement to someone else that day. The emphasis is never on what we get out of it. We get stuff out of it. God, well, I'm hoping you get stuff out of it. I mean, it's a massive assumption on my part. But anyway, please don't disabuse me of that notion. Let me have my fantasy, okay, that somehow you get something out of the things I say. Yeah, thank you, Jake. You just want to keep your job. Right. But that's okay. We, we understand how it works, all right. We understand how it works. But the, but the emphasis, right, the emphasis there is, is on, don't give up meaning together, but you think about what you can do when, you, when you're around. You think about what you get to bring to the table when you're around. You get to think about how you can be a blessing to others. Yeah? Because I get it. Sometimes in the way we set ourselves up here, it's hard to think, what is it that I could offer beyond, you know, serving on a few teams, which is great and we need it and please, more of it, Right? But there's other ways that just you being here is an encouragement. And you can encourage someone when you are here. You can sidle up against someone and say, how are you going? How are you going? They might not be doing too well. You know what? You could pray for them. You could bless them. You could just bring some encouragement into their life. And they will walk away probably not remembering how great the worship was or how fantastic the sermon wasn't, right? But, but they will remember, I was seen today. God saw me, and through that person, he, he loved me. It's not hard, is it? 
God is not asking us to do things that are beyond us. He's simply asking us to front up and bring something to the table and to have that mindset of bringing something to the table. That's why I love this, what Paul writes to the early church in Philippi, right? An early, an early group of Jesus followers. And, and he, he feels it pains to be able to say to them something like, I want to get you off to a good start. So here's something I really want you to take on board here. And he says in Philippians 2, 1 to 4, right? I'm going to read this. Bear with me. I'm reading from the message version. He says, if you've got anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put Put yourself aside. Put yourself aside. And help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I love that. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And then he goes on to say, have the same mind as that of Jesus. And then launches into one of the earliest hymns that the church ever had about how Jesus' mindset was the thing that made him, although he was equal with God, not consider equality with God, something to be held onto, but stepped down, took the form of a man and humbled himself to death, even on a cross, for us. And so Paul's advice to this early group of believers is, you want to act like a church, you want to be a church, then get this mindset in you, the same mindset that Jesus had, where it's not all about you, it's actually all about others. You with me? It's not about you, it's about others. To be Jesus' body means to be like Jesus and the place to start in being like Jesus is to having the same mind and the same attitude as that of Jesus. Not not what are you doing to serve me, but what can I do to serve? That's the mind of Jesus, right? That was the example of Jesus, and that's the thing we are called to follow. Not not how can you serve me, where can I serve? Whom can I serve? Imagine if we all had that mindset all the time. Now, I know there's part of us that says, you know, but if I'm always doing that, then what's going to come back my way? Well, Jesus has already got that covered because it's more blessed to give than receive. Yeah? There is a fulfillment found in pouring yourself out, in serving, in giving of yourself that you won't get simply consuming. I mean that 100%, okay? It's great to be on the receiving end. It is. I sit here in the mornings. I'm not part of the worship team because they won't let me bring my bagpipes, right? But I, I genuinely am blessed by what they bring, right? By what they bring. I'm blessed when I see people serving. I'm blessed by the people I talk to. I get, I get my receiving. But my greatest gift is when I'm able to do something for someone else. And it's not even necessarily the preaching. Sometimes, actually, probably nine times out of ten, it's the conversations after church for me, where I'm able to to have some meaningful discussion with someone and bring something to them. That's where I feel myself feel most fulfilled. Yeah? It is better to give than receive. And that's why Paul's at pains to talk them through this. Okay? But here's the thing. You can't externalize something you haven't first internalized so Paul starts off this whole thing by saying if if you've gotten anything out of all out of following Christ if his love has made any difference in your life then you can't fake this stuff you can conform you know you can play a part you can play a role 
But you can't fake life-giving ministry. That comes from somewhere much deeper, right? Much, 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 much deeper. It comes from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And last week, one of the points I was trying to make about salvation is that it isn't just this accounting thing that needs taking care of. It isn't just that there is a, a debt that needs to be paid and then the ledger, ledger is wiped clean. That means I've now got my ticket to heaven and therefore I can pretty much do what I want. No, no, no. Salvation is about transformation. Salvation is about being transformed. It's about being saved from the worst aspects of ourselves and being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what salvation is actually all about. Um, you know, I love that, that when Paul, he talks about his apostleship and he says, you know, I was just this guy, I was this Pharisee, I was this guy who was even persecuting the church and I'm late to the game, I'm kind of a no one. But then he says this, but, but, but Christ's grace to me was not without effect. He said, I, I had this encounter with Jesus and it had an effect on me. It transformed my life, you know. And then I'm even with James. I mean, I know James gets a little bit hardcore down the end here of the Bible when he's, you know, you say you've got faith? Don't tell me about it. Show me. Show me. And while there's a bit of that where you could go, eh, he's dead right. We know what's in us by what comes out of us. So you can't fake this sort of stuff, this real stuff that means to be part of the church and a life-giving part of the church, to being saved, being made whole. And if you and I are being transformed and changed from the inside out to be more like Jesus, then it stands to reason that collectively this body will start to look and smell and act and feel a lot more like Jesus too. See, we can't, we can't strategize life into a church. We can't, we can't set little goals that we want to achieve to make it a more loving church. It's to the degree that you and I are being changed by Jesus every day that goes into the collective personality pool of this church that then transforms the whole thing. That's why our own personal transformation is so important. But again, it's not a foregone conclusion if, if you've gotten anything out of it, if this love has made a difference to you. I know over time when we've butted up against um, some less than Jesus-like behaviour in churches, are you shocked that that goes on? Because it does. Um, and particularly during our time here, which we euphemistically call the unpleasantness, right? <laughs> this is Chloe's laughing. <laughs> the unpleasantness, that's what it'll always be known as. You know, Heather would say to me sometimes, I just want to go up to some of these people and say, have you met Jesus? Because it's incongruous that you could have met Jesus and behaved in that way. Yeah? It's true. I mean, it sounds like such a judgy thing to say, but I'm going to say it. Because if you've met Jesus, you would not behave like that. If you had the mind of Jesus, you would not think those things. If you had the heart of Jesus, you would not feel those things. If you're being transformed by Jesus, you would not do those things. Just because, just because you've been around this doesn't mean you've experienced that. And that's why I think, I love someone, someone actually said this once, Christians need Jesus too. There is a, a fatal assumption in just being around the church that, that somehow you're around, you, you're starting to become like Jesus, that somehow you've even had an encounter with Jesus. It's not always true. 
And some of us, even though we claim to be Christians, we need another encounter with Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is, who it is who saves us and who it is we're following. Being the body of Jesus means we have to be like Jesus and that starts with having the mind of Jesus. But it doesn't stop with having the mind of Jesus. It goes on to having the heart of Jesus. It goes goes on to speaking like Jesus and to acting like Jesus. I guess this is the thing I really want us to hear today in all of this. Jesus can't just be our saviour who takes care of things for us when we die. He has to be our standard for living while we are alive. Right? I mean... Praise God, our eternity is secure. That's fantastic. We've got our fire insurance, right? But he has to be our standard for living while we're alive. It's easy sometimes in churches because they're not just the body of Christ, a spiritual entity. They're also a human organisation and we have to have all sorts of bits and pieces in there that tell us how things we have to do and how we have to behave. It's easy to conform to those things and to say, I'm within the lines because I'm doing X, Y and Z. That's not our North Star. That's not the thing that we need to be aspiring to. That's not the thing against which we need to be measuring ourselves. Jesus is the standard. That's it. To the degree that we are not conforming to that, that's where we need to do the work. That's our standard for everything. And that's when I talk about this new way to live, that's the stuff I'm talking about. It's not conforming to basic religious obligations. It's conforming to the standard of living that has been set by Jesus. And you can only do that if you first have an encounter with Jesus because he's the one that makes it possible for us to do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Okay? So this is where we're at. We want to be this church that sets a bigger table to tell a better story, but... But in order to do that, we've got to be people who have sold out and committed to a new way of living, a completely new way of life, where our one and only constant and collective data point is Jesus. That's it. And we measure not just our individual life by his life, we measure our collective life by his life as well to the degree that you and I are being conformed to his image this body will be conformed to his image you with me amen all right we'll finish it there I invite everyone now again to come to the table to take communion to share in the body and blood of Jesus to get more grace if you need it to find more forgiveness if you need it to reconnect with Jesus if you need it whatever you need this morning this table is open for you. So please come and take it in your own time. We'll get the team back up. Thanks.